Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin. Welcome to episode 21 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. I am Mark Hodgkin, along with uh, my co-host, Kevin DeShazo. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked to you, but uh, glad to be back. Start off 2018. Uh, here we are in early February. Uh, but Kevin, how's, uh, how's things going for you? Yeah, things are going really well. It's been uh, a busy time. Obviously, it took both of us uh, three months to get back together to, to go from episode 20 to episode 21. Um, but that's, that's a good thing. That means we've been busy. Projects have been going, a lot of travel happening. So it's we had holidays that we had to get through. Uh, but things are, things are going really well. I'm excited to, to dig into this topic today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great topic. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just watched the pretty amazing Super Bowl. Um, we're sh- shooting this here on the Tuesday after the Super Bowl Sunday. Um, saw an amazing performance by the Eagles. Um, some of the things that kind of jumped out to me about that um, and made me think immediately of, um, of doing a podcast on this was that culture that the Eagles appear to have from the outside, kind of personified by Nick Foles, who, you know, if you're not familiar with the story, was a backup quarterback, um, had kind of bounced around the NFL for a little bit, um, and then got this amazing opportunity when Carson Wentz, who was, you know, an MVP candidate quarterback, young guy, second year, was injured out for the rest of the season, and Nick Foles was just you know, thrust into this position and, you know, seemingly the Eagles didn't miss a beat. It was really incredible. You know, when we, we'll dig into this obviously in the episode, but when you look at this guy who was kind of cast off, thought about quitting football, Eagles are having a dream season. Carson Wentz goes down and I saw someone tweet out a headline right after he got injured that says, you know, the Wentz injury takes the Eagles from a dream season to a season of dread. So all this doom and gloom, which could have easily set in for everyone, right? Not just Foles, but it could have set on the, on the team. We lost our leader. We lost our guy. Uh, and then Nick Foles comes in to an organization he'd been a part of in the past and just thrives. Um, and not, not only did he thrive, but everyone around him continued to thrive and build. Uh, and it's almost like they didn't skip a beat to the point of winning the Super Bowl. So a really incredible story, taking out the Patriots, um, which is not easy to do. Obviously, when you look across the sideline uh, and you've got Tom Brady standing there and you've got Bill Belichick standing there uh, and they didn't flinch. And so that speaks a lot to their culture. Um, so we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. Yeah, amazing story. Kind of brought up some parallels to uh, the college game and what we saw from Alabama with also a, uh, a backup quarterback being thrust in, how both those guys handled it. So we'll dig in a little bit more um, about both those situations and uh, talk a little bit about how those cultures were created, why it's important, and how we can apply it um, to our, our lives and careers, even if we're not on the football field. So um, with that, we'll be right back with episode 21. Okay, well, what we saw with, uh, with the Eagles was really amazing, um, a team that was uh, really kind of given up for dead a few weeks before um, being able to rally and then just play outstanding football in the rest of the, uh, the playoffs and into the Super Bowl and obviously capping it with the win. So, Kevin, what are some of the things that you saw from that group? How were they able to establish that culture? How, what do you think went into uh, being able to kind of keep the, the wheels moving on such a um, complex organization, you know, when the really as as, uh, a damaging set of circumstances you expect. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and typically that's the type of situation that destroys a team season, 
Um, and again, there were headlines that talked about, well, the, the Eagles, are, it's, it's over. Um, what was it? It's this great, incredible run. It's going to fall off the train tracks and everything's over and doom and gloom. And, um, and, and it wasn't just that it was the opposite of that. It was, the, it was so much that it was the opposite that they just continued to thrive, not just get by, but to thrive to the point they got into the playoffs um, and, and on the way to the Super Bowl and to take out the Patriots and, and come home with, with a championship. And so I think you look at their culture um, there are a number of things that stood out from a distance. And number one, you look at just trust. The fact that people trusted the system. Um, they trusted each other. It could have been easy for players to doubt Nick Foles, um, given that he hadn't played to the, to the level of Carson Wentz whenever he was in the league. It's not that he was necessarily a bad quarterback. He had moments of greatness, but he, you know, he could have been labeled as inconsistent. So they could have doubted him. They could have been frustrated. They could have thrown in the towel. But they trusted in him. Said, hey, we've got your back. Like You're, you're showing up. We're, we're going to show up as well. Um, we're each going to play to our to the best of our ability and call each other up to that standard that they'd already created throughout the course of the season. So I think trust from the, the team, trust from Nick Foles and himself. I think I loved his press conference. Um, it's been passed around on Twitter you know, probably 10,000 times at this point because I'm not afraid of failure. Uh, and so I think that's a huge piece. And, and there was an article, I think, in the Wall Street Journal, probably going to screw that up, talking about the the empowerment from the top down, from ownership to Coach Peterson down to the players that – they knew they were secure. And so in that, in that moment, you don't play to not lose. You play to win because you have confidence. Like you can be bold. You can run that play that they ran um, where Foles runs out and catches the pass. Like that's, that's playing to win because you have ultimate confidence. You've got nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to hide. And so that comes from empowerment and trust uh, from the top down. And then look at communication. They were able to – he steps in and they didn't miss a beat. And I loved – I'm not a football expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but you, you read articles and hear stories about how the, the Eagles changed their offense to full strengths. So instead of playing the Carson Wentz game, which would have made him struggle to no fault of his own, they said, no, these are your strengths. We're going we're gonna to switch things around and allow our team to thrive the way you play quarterback. Uh, and so I love that they played to their team's strengths, played to their quarterback strengths, which raised the confidence level of everyone. And everyone stayed committed. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of doubt and frustration, they stayed committed they stayed positive and those are all really cliche things to say um, but we saw the results of that yeah and you know what what really sticks out to me is is how uh Carson Wentz handled the whole situation I mean you talk about a guy who's in his second season um you know not a seasoned veteran um not a an established guy really I mean for as popular as he's been and how fantastic he's been um his first kind of year and a half um you know not a not a guy who's completely cemented um, his status. I mean, I think he's pretty close, but you know, he hasn't been through difficulties, you know, from the from the outside um, in his pro career. So, being able to kind of stand there, be you'd always see him on the sidelines. You'd always see him kind of pumping up his team. He wasn't threatened, um, even though you know, Foles is just a few years older than him, and um, you know, still a guy who probably has a lot of maybe another decade of good football to play if he if he his age goes. So, you know, you've seen this happen other places where. It's threatening. It actually kind of reminds me of uh, the New England situation when when Brady took over, going back to the Patriots, and um, you know they had a veteran quarterback there who had been through the wars. And you know I, I lived up there during that that time period. And I remember it was a little a little pricklier than the situation was. It was a little bit more um, okay. Kelly, Kelly, you can't lose your job to injury. We all know that's not true anymore. Everybody's everybody's seen it. There's too many examples of from Wally Pip to today of. You know, guys who lose their job to injury and you know that's a big deal these guys it's their livelihood it's their it's their career we have that same kind of pressure a lot of times in our you know even if we're not playing on the you know between the lines um, we have a lot of the same kind of challenges so for him to just kind of fully 
put his arm around this guy, be positive, model that behavior that you would want anybody on your team to do in those kind of situations. I don't think they get through it if that's not the case. No, I think you're 100% right. If, if Carson Wentz doesn't handle it the way he does, there's now a serious divide in the team. And, and he creates this kind of toxic culture, this toxic environment, because it's, oh, uh, woe is me. I lost my opportunity. And, and I was doing so. I mean, he was an MVP caliber candidate at the time that he got injured. And some would say he was the front runner at that point. And so he could easily just get negative. And he would have had every right to be negative, right, to be, be frustrated, to be upset, um, and not back Nick Foles. Because as you said, Nick Foles, the way the NFL has gone over the last decade or longer, if you get hurt and the next man up thrives, you could be out of a job. I mean, there was that, even the conversation with Tony Romo, who's done great things. When he got hurt and Dak steps in, is this Tony's team? Is this Dak's team? I mean, what, what's happening? And for Carson Wentz to respond the way he did, and it appeared to be, you know, we never know what this stuff, but it, it appeared to be really authentic. He was mm-hmm. genuinely happy for Nick Foles. He would go on social media and praise him. He'd go in press conferences and praise him on the sidelines. He's happy. And so it appeared to be like, you know, he, he was truly um, excited and supported Nick Foles performing at a high level. And it, and it goes back to the culture piece of this is the standard of what we're going to allow for our team. Right? We're not going to be negative. We're not going to be toxic. We're not going to be selfish. We're going to fight for the highest good of the team. And, for, and, and that, that's a standard set from the top down and everyone lived up to that standard, calling people up to that, saying, no, this is who we are. We're not going to go this toxic direction. We're going to stay with a healthy mindset so that we can have a healthy culture and a healthy team. And I think another thing about this was the way that the, uh, the coaching staff and the organization really handled it, having, um, you know, again, this isn't an X's and O's show, but they didn't play not to lose. They played to win the game. And I think that was evident uh, for everybody watching, and I'm sure it's evident for everybody in the building, in the system, um, knowing that, okay, you know, we're going to adjust the offense Meet, meet this guy's strengths, but we're not going to assume that he's going to lose it and assume that we need to protect him from losing it. He, they empowered them. They asked him to make good throws. They asked him to, to do um, whatever. They aired it out against Minnesota, best defense in the league. Um, you know, and they didn't, they, they didn't back down against the Patriots who are the you know, scariest dynasty in the league. So um, I give them a lot of credit too for really modeling that behavior that you want your team to follow of, you know, playing to win, playing not, to not lose. Um, it's a good way to lose every time. So, um, I think that, you know, it's easy to get and say the right things in press conferences and team meetings and whatever. But I think when you actually model that behavior, like it appeared, the coaching staff uh, for Philadelphia did, I think that makes a, a huge difference as well. Absolutely. And you see this, the idea of if they, if they lead with fear from a, from the coaching perspective, the coach's standpoint, if they lead with fear. All right, let's just, you know, let's just make sure that Nick didn't lose the game for us, right? Let's just play it safe, dial everything back, and not play to his strengths. They're going to lose, right? Because that tells him, I mean, they don't trust me. That tells the team, oh, coach doesn't trust this guy. Like, great. We've got to all play to a different level and hope that he doesn't make a really dumb mistake because he's just going to screw everything up. But for the coaches to come out and empower him, say, no, we're not, not only are we not going to do that, we're going to change our system for you to give us the best chance at winning, to give you the best chance of playing at a high level. And that, that trust that they showed in him allowed him to thrive and allowed the team to thrive. Cause when they do that, again, his confidence goes up, the confidence of the team goes up um, and they don't play with fear. They, they play with, with hope and with faith and with positivity saying, no, we know what we're going to go do. We don't have to go out and try to not lose. We can go out and play our game. We can go out and win. And they did. I mean, they're, they, they were throwing deep and going for it all the time. Um, and they let him get into a rhythm 
And when he was on, I mean, he was on. And that comes from the way that they established that going in, right? There's this trust, there's this communication. Um, this, we, we believe in you. This is who you're capable, capable of being. Um, we can win the Super Bowl with you. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a bummer that Carson's out, but you've won however many playoff games. Like, you've, you've been our quarterback. We trust you. We're going to put you in a place, in a position to succeed. Um, and he responded really well, and the team responded really well. And that could have easily gone, like you said, a, a completely different direction um, had they not shown trust in him. It, I don't think they would have gotten to the Super Bowl had they responded that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think um, it reminded me a lot of the college football playoff national championship game where we had, um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that both these teams kind of reacted the same way. I think it's exactly the reason why they were uh, both champions. But when Jalen Hurts, a guy who had led Alabama, number one team, um, for most of the last two seasons, uh, you know, to something like a 24-2 and record, um, he's a, a young guy. He's got a couple more years of eligibility. When he was benched at halftime of that game um, for uh, for Tua Tagovailoa, which I probably butchered, um, I've never seen a player, at least in recent memory, that high profile of a player being pulled with the team not performing. Um, pretty embarrassing thing, a pretty big shot to the ego, a pretty pretty tough thing to deal with for this five star recruit, this really this star young guy who's a true freshman. Who's, 18 years old or whatever to come in and be the the biggest cheerleader really on the sidelines when this other guy who, you know, we all know he's going to be battling for, for your job from here on out. Um, this wasn't a 50 year senior who's about to graduate and be gone. This was, you know, a real competitor, but seeing Hertz's reaction, the way he stayed with the team, stayed with the process as Nick Saban would say, I thought it was amazing. And I thought it was, it was, it was neat that both these two championships had, you know, that, that same parallel. Yeah. What a leader that young man is to respond that way. And, and, you know, in the NFL, we're talking about grown men and they should have the maturity to respond the right way. Not everyone does. Doesn't mean it's easy, but now we're talking about 18, 19 year old, 17 year old kids. And for Jalen Hurts, like we said, all he'd done is one gone 24 and two in two years, got into the championship game back to back with all the pressure of the world on his shoulders he performed and, and got Alabama to the championship game in back-to-back years and then gets pulled. And you know, I can remember being in college and things not going my way in a class project, in relationships, in whatever. And I throw a fit and look like a big baby. And here's this guy on national TV, millions of people watching, one of the biggest moments of his lives, and he's taken out. And every time there's a good play, he was the first one running out there to jump on the kids, celebrate with him, high five, congratulate him um, on the sidelines. He was right there, right? Talent on his shoulders, like watching dialed in and, and not sitting back on the bench with a towel over his head. Just, oh, I screwed it up. Everything's wrong. And, and again, I think it, show, it goes to show uh, the amazing character and, and leadership of Jalen Hurts, um, the culture that Nick Saban has built. I had a good conversation with a guy who, who knows Nick fairly well. We see the gruff, grumpy version of Nick Saban all the time. And that's intentional, right? He does that on purpose. But this guy was telling me that with his players, like he, he treats every player different based on who they are, based on what they need. He knows that they need, when we talk about the support challenge matrix, he knows and they need more support, more challenge, more care. Um, and I think that, that showed in the way that Jalen Hurts showed up in that moment. Like if, it, it could have easily gone a different way. But the way he'd been treated, the trust that he had in Nick Saban, that Nick Saban had in him, um, and in the process, 
Hey, this is, this is for the good of the team. Do I want to go win a championship? Yes, I still will. As long as the young man plays well, like I'm, I'm still a champion. And then we saw him afterwards um, in the interview said, no, he, this, he was, he was destined for this. This kid was made for greatness. And again, to go back similar to Carson Wentz, the authenticity of that joy of that support of that encouragement it wasn't a i'm doing this for the cameras like he he was truly happy a he's a champion but that his teammate stepped up and and played well and so we when we talk about culture and trust and communication um it i think it's just so much more difficult at this level when we talk about college kids and it was i i couldn't have been more impressed with how they how they showed up in that moment yeah, it reminds me um, a lot. You talk about the kind of the support challenge you always want to bring to your employees and that balance. Um, obviously, I think it's safe to say that in that moment, Jalen Hurts realized this wasn't a, an ego thing. This wasn't a knock at him. This was for the betterment of the team, um, the highest good of the organization, if you will. Um, and I think the important thing to remember is that that didn't just come out at halftime. That wasn't the comment that coach Saban or coach Dayball or whoever decided to tell him he wasn't starting the second half. It wasn't done in those moments. That wasn't what convinced hurts to kind of react this way. That was, that was inborn, not only in him as a human being and as a leader on that team, but in the culture that I think the coaches had to have established that credibility and modeling it day in, day out. I think everybody knows about coach Saban. He's very consistent, but I think that kind of rings true too, that this had to have been, um, the groundwork for this was laid years in advance with how they modeled their program day in, day out. Yeah, we always say that the culture is not, reve- uh, it's not built under pressure, it's revealed under pressure. And so you, they've been building it practice after practice, workout after workout, to when that moment hits, that, that reveals the culture that they built. And so to your point exactly is that Hertz knew – ultimately the coaches are for him and they're for the good of the team. They weren't against him. They weren't trying to penalize him or punish him, but they had a strong enough relationship where he could respond appropriately in that moment and not take it personally, which should probably, probably be the tendency for most of us. He could see the bigger picture and say, you know what? No, this is for the good of the team. Um, I can trust these coaches. I can trust their intent and I can trust my teammates. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's the result of build, building culture intentionally and having that next man up idea is that, man, if something's not going well and the next person steps up, we know that we can thrive. And we know that ultimately it's, it's a decision that people are making in order so that the team can thrive in the way that they, they want to be thriving and executing and excelling. Uh, and I, I do think there's a lot of, of this that also transfers, you know, we're spending all this time talking about sports and football and being on the field. Um, obviously most of our listeners are not, college athletes or pro athletes. Maybe you are. That's awesome. Thanks for listening. But most are administrators, right? They may be coaches, but they're administrators, they're ADs, they're SIDs, they're in marketing, communications, development, whatever it may look like. But I think this still applies to the way that we go about our careers and the way that we approach um, our bosses, our team, our teammates, um, and the culture that we need to be creating. What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and these moments that will happen, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, they won't be on ESPN in front of millions and millions of fans um, doesn't make it any less important. And I think it, it goes to show how important that day in, day in, day out consistency is um, on the good days, on the bad days, making sure your team knows that one you're for their greatest good and also the organization's greatest good and not letting that slip really when things are difficult or when you're having a bad day or when life kind of gets in the way, I think 
being bring that huge consistency, especially when you're leading somebody, or even if you're just in, you know, in your department, it's not a quote unquote leader, uh, put that in quotes because I think everybody is, but not everybody might have the title. So even if you don't think you have the title where you're modeling that behavior, everybody else is seeing it. You know, you might be a, a GA in a college athletics department. Maybe your student interns are seeing your behavior. It, it, it goes all the way down to that level. So I think that bring that consistency, bring that steadiness on both sides of the leadership spectrum, whether you're being led or you're leading, probably jumps out to me as kind of the biggest kind of takeaway for this. And then not being, not being afraid to celebrate, you know, the wins of, of your teammates. I think we all have, I think especially people who work in sports, I see a lot of competition. I feel it sometimes. Um, I've tried to harness that. Um, but I think it's, it's natural to compare yourself to either, maybe it's other people in your department, maybe it's your counterpart at your rival school. Maybe it's just somebody else who's your age, who's doing really well. Um, and, and, you know, there's that tendency to feel a little bit jealous or feel a little bit competitive. You know, it's not, it's not wrong to celebrate other people. It's not a zero sum game in this, in any industry really, but it's okay to celebrate some other people. I think as long as you're doing it authentically and, um, you know, and you're, you're, intentions are in the right direction. I think that's really a really powerful thing. Yeah. I think how we celebrate the success of others says a lot about us. Um, and again, that's not easy, uh, but this is where ego comes into play. And we're going to dig into that in the next episode. We're going to talk a lot about ego. Um, I think a lot of us feel entitled. I deserve this. So if you're Jalen Hurts, no, no, I deserve to finish out the game. I got the team here. Um, I deserve this promotion. I deserve this recognition. And the reality is we don't deserve anything. Um, and we should, we should celebrate the success of the team. If someone else gets, gets promoted above us or if someone else gets recognition instead of us, great. We can, we can either throw a fit, which just makes sure we're not going to get the next promotion either, <laughs> um, or have anyone recognize us, or we can trust the leader and say, man, this is, I really wish I would have gotten that, but this person does great work. Let's celebrate them instead of creating a toxic environment. But I also think that goes to leaders and the work that you do ahead of those difficult moments when you make decisions that people are could potentially be frustrated with because it's natural um, for people to be frustrated with certain decisions that's okay it's how we respond not our not our instant reaction or emotion it's how we respond after that that thought goes away how we control that emotion but for leaders to uh, be really intentional in creating that culture creating that trust having that level of communication before you get to those difficult decisions so that when it happens even if people don't agree with it they ultimately trust you and your intent I mean, I, I don't know that I would have done that, but I know that he's for the highest good of the team. So I'm going to trust this, even if it feels like it may be the wrong thing or it feel, it's not what I would have wanted. But to have that level of trust in a leader, which again, as you said a second ago, doesn't happen in that moment, doesn't happen overnight. That comes through thousands of interactions and conversations and decisions. Um, and so like I said, it does go both ways on the leader to create that culture and on the, the people on the other side of it to fight their ego um, and learn to celebrate those around them. And an awesome reminder too, to... to to remember that we don't always control, we rarely control external events, um, but you always do control your reaction to it. Um, and I think, I think Jalen's reaction, I think Carson Wentz, I think Nick Foles, all these are unbelievable examples of circumstances outside of any of their controls and then being able to say, how am I going to react to this? How am I going to interpret this? Is this, you know, you have that freedom always to control how you're going to react and how you're going to think about something, what perspective you're going to put it into having that, you know, this is just another great reminder to be cognizant of that when things get rocky, when there's 
issues when there's challenges, when things unexpected happen, bumps in the road. Remember that you can always kind of control how you react to it. And I think, you know, the phrase we go back to often on on this podcast and in our sessions of what's it like to be on the other side of your leadership, whether you're the quote unquote leader or a team member, what's it like for others when you react? If you react in a negative way, what's that culture going to be? If, if you were the one getting promoted and somebody else felt like they deserved it instead of you, how would you want them to respond? You wouldn't want them to be negative and backstabbing you or, or trying to contaminate that moment. You'd want them to celebrate you. And if we want, if we want positive outcomes, we have to have positive actions, even in the midst of moments that we, that could potentially be frustrating. Yeah. And, and as the case, with a lot of things, this is doing things the right way is also good business like for kind of a clunky phrase, but think about how well, Jalen Hurts came out of this. You know, he might transfer, he might continue at Alabama, but he's a guy who's known as a great teammate. From now on, it was the right thing to do, but it's also going to help him in the long run. Yep, hundred percent. What what coach? As you said, he he may stay on the team. He may he may transfer. Who wouldn't want to play with that guy? You know, he's he's Absolutely. as we say often a leader worth following because um, he's a he's a player that people know or uh, other future teammates, present teammates know that he's going to do what's best for the team. Um, he's steady. He's consistent. He's positive. He's unselfish. Uh, who wouldn't want to be a teammate with that guy? Who wouldn't want to coach that guy? And so the way he responded in that moment, and same thing with with Carson Wentz, um, showed tremendous character uh, that that should be an example for all of us in how we can respond um, in difficult situations. So yeah, this was a great conversation, Kevin. Uh, really interesting. Another reason why I think we all. Um, love sports. It's, just a, it's a great uh, microcosm of, uh, of leadership and, and things that we can learn from, even though they're just, you know, games on a field, but uh, wonderful conversation. Awesome topic. Really, really impressed with these guys who are able to react like this. Yeah. And I think it's, again, it's one of those situations that as we look at what transpires on a football field, or it could be a basketball court or baseball, whatever sport, we can also take those lessons and apply them into our daily lives in the office with our team, with our family, the people that we lead and interact with, um, and as we dig into a little bit deeper in the next episode of what that looks like to control our ego, to kind of kick that to the curb and show up for the good of the team. Uh, and it's, it's a, a phrase that people talk about often or an idea that people talk about often. It's not easy, but, but we, we tend to use that as an excuse to not actually do it. And these guys said, yeah, no excuses. I'm going to put my ego to the side. I'm going to be a great teammate. I'm going to be a huge supporter of my guys, even if I can't physically be out there supporting them. I'm going to show up and, and be the best teammate, best leader I can possibly be. And so I think we can all do that in our teams, in our environments. Uh, we can show up with, with no ego. Yeah, really excited about that conversation. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll be back in a few weeks. I uh, promise it won't be another three months before we're back, but we're going to be talking about ego, how, uh, what it is, how you can um, defeat it, how you can conquer it, how you can uh, lead uh, despite of your ego and be not think less of yourself, but think about yourself less. So we'll be back with that. Thanks again for listening. Um, really appreciate everybody who has uh, left us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you might be listening to us. If you um, are enjoying the show, finding value it means the world to us to hear that. Please share it with your team, share it with your family, um, share it with your friends, um, anyone you think could find value in it. And um, you can always reach us as well on Twitter at Kevin DeShazo for Kevin and myself at Mark underscore Hodgkin. Um, so until next time uh, for the Sports Leadership Podcast, thanks for listening.